on this episode of TR Talk. To me, the dreams are the things that, that give you energy. It's like the oxygen of your soul. And if you believe you're moving towards something in life that matters, you have hope. And hope drives a person and gives them energy. When you don't have those goals or when tomorrow looks worse than today, that's when the downward spirals start to happen. Yes, we're back with episode 14 of TR Talk. Today's guest is former LinkedIn executive and now CEO of Shift Gig, Wade Burgess, who is also a college wrestler, so we love him for that. Want to give a quick shout out to our fan of the week, Tucker Hood. He's an account executive at Sixter and resides in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, also home to Tom's sister, Emily Alamo. What's up, Emily? If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by going to iTunes, leaving a review, subscribing, or resharing or posting any of the episodes. Thank you all for the love and support. Now, let's get into it. From the Windy City, Chicago IL, birthplace of the baby back ribs, with Wade Burgess. Thank you for listening. Good morning from San Francisco. This is Ryan Warner, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Alamo. Good morning, folks, and welcome to another episode of TR Talk. Today's guest is the CEO of Shift Gig, Wade Burgess, joining us from Chicago. Welcome to the show, Wade. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Wade, and we wanted to kick this off uh, with a quick quote from a famous poem. Uh, so stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. And Wade, we know that you know this poem has a meaning for you. It was given to you by your father uh, when you were trying to get a business off the ground when you were in your 20s and you keep it with you to this day. So we'd love to hear what that poem means to you. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I, th- I think for people who support you and believe in you, it's, it's really important that um, no matter where you are in your life that you embrace the input that they give you. And, you know, interestingly enough, <clears throat> if you read the, through the depths of that poem, there's a lot in there. I would encourage any, anyone listening to, to go look up the detail of it. Everyone goes through adversity. Everyone goes through challenges. And if you don't, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. And at that moment in my life, I was not sure if I was going to be able to persevere and succeed in what I was engaged in at the moment. It was, it was very personal. I had put everything kind of on the line emotionally toward it. And um, interestingly enough, that wasn't um, really a statement from my father believing in the vision of what I was trying to accomplish. It was his statement of believing in me as a person. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us, whether it's with you know, loved ones or business partners or whoever, that supporting the person has a higher priority than even supporting their current initiative. And, but in that, I knew that regardless of how things worked, I knew that I had someone in my, in my corner who was there, regardless of whether they understood or believed what I was doing, um, that he was there for me. And I think I've, you know, I've tried to take that and translate that through to others as well and to not judge others' dreams and to really not try and steal their fuel, but really just to believe in them as a person. That's powerful. And we know you're big into relationships and we hope to get into that later. Before we go on past this, though, I'd love to know, did your dad give this to you when you had that, that epic month where you wrote a blog on this, but you were let go from a job, you had a house, you had a kid. Um, was that during this time or was it another time? No, it was actually quite a lot earlier. This was, I was probably, I think maybe 20 years old. Um, and I was, you know, going to school. I was wrestling at University of Nebraska. I had a business I was started, had a lot of stuff going on. 
And um, he, uh, yeah, he just sent it to me actually uh, in, a, in a, like a little plastic card um, that he sent because he knew I needed it at the time. The, the other time you reference is actually, you know, if I ever write a book, there'll be a chapter called One Week in November, I think. And it was, yeah, we, we found out we were pregnant with our first child. We had just moved homes. My vehicle had, um, the engine blew, uh, lost my job. It was a pretty rough week. Uh, and then we had like 16 people over for Thanksgiving. But, uh, you know, it's interesting because in every one of those things that went wrong, uh, they all worked out. Everything ended up working out. And for those of the, the listeners who are maybe going through some tough times or, or have, you know, have in the past, could you just share what your, your self-talk or what your mental thoughts were during that week in November and, and maybe how it relates back to that poem? Yeah, I think uh, my advice would probably be two words. Zoom out. If you zoom out far enough, you're going to realize that the context in which you are living in is actually pretty good. Number one, if you still have breath, you still have opportunity. You still have life. And depending on your belief systems, I would anchor really in tough times to anchor on your belief systems. For me personally, uh, I happen to be a Christian, so I was able to rely on my, my faith and my understanding of how I believe the world exists and uh, realize that, you know, I, I really haven't lost anything. I still have opportunity in front of me. I still have life in me. Uh, I still have people around me and, and consider what your assets are. And I live in a country where there is, uh, I'm free to become anything I choose to become. Um, I'm around people that support me and understand me. There's so many things that I realize in those tough moments that you still have, you've really lost almost nothing. You probably have everything. You know, if you consider that a high percentage of the world's population lives on less than three US dollars per day, and many of them don't go to bed wondering, you know, which TV to turn off and in what order. Many of them aren't sure if they're going to be able to feed themselves and their family the next day. So we really have it pretty good. And in most of the developed world, people don't have those same challenges. And so just, just zooming out and understanding the perspective of whatever you're facing is actually probably not as bad as it seems. Yeah, that that's great, Wade. And, and you know, one of our former guests, uh, Annie Matthews, actually just wrote a post and it was, one of the quotes was, uh, the more gratitude that you show uh, equals the grace that you exude. And so I think that is really helpful for our listeners that, hey, as, as long as you can be, uh, you know, zoom out, as you would say, show gratitude, um, that helps you to, to exude grace and, and be kind of calm on the outside. Yeah, I think it's all, it, it helps as well. If you're, a, if you're someone who's a giver, you're looking around at other people and how you can help them, it really takes it off of yourself. And being empathetic towards those, I, I just started reading um, Satya Nadella's new book and in it he talks about he said that ideas ins- excite me but empathy grounds me and centers me and I think that an empathetic person also goes through challenges better because they're not just thinking about themselves they're thinking about a lot of other people around them and that gives you some context well and you use the word empathetic and it's it's funny because when we were researching for this podcast we found a number of adjectives that folks use to describe you, Wade. You know, empathetic was one of them. You know, a few were, you know, Wade is one of the most focused people I know. You know, he's one of the most enthusiastic people I know. He leads by example. So, you know, those are all adjectives that folks use to describe you, and we could go on and on. But we'd love to know, what is your personal philosophy, or how do you see yourself? You know, I, I think probably I see myself as a student intellectually curious and I also feel that you know to whom much is given much is required and I feel like I mentioned earlier you know that I happen to be fortunate enough to be born into a country of freedom and of opportunity Um, I happen to have exceptional parents who instilled in me value systems and and 
you know, I happen to be surrounded by some, some amazing people in the professional world and in my personal life. And so I, I feel humbled at that opportunity. And I also feel very driven that, you know, to use those things that are there uh, to be better the world. And that my personal mission is to help people live better lives. Because my, my experience has been, when you can help someone else, when you can be there and be a part of someone else's success, uh, that really comes back to you manyfold. And so I aspire to be a student to learn more, to broaden the aperture of the things that I can do and of the people I can empower and impact. And um, I find that very gratifying. I also think that um, I have a long way to go. You know, I, I look at what I really believe, uh, who I can be, and what I can accomplish in life. And, you know, I'm just single-digit percentages of the way there. And so I, I guess what probably drives me is I feel like I have so much to learn and so much to do that um, I'm kind of constantly on that that intellectually curious and leaning forward edge. And is there something that you've learned in the past year or so that's really impacted your life? You know, maybe taking it a little bit more tactical that you say, hey, I, I read this or I heard this and I started implementing it, implementing it into my daily or weekly routine. It's really helped me. Do you, does anything come to mind that you could share with the, with the listeners? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I had a chance to do some reflecting. So I spent about nine and a half years at LinkedIn and then just recently took a job as the CEO of ShiftGig. And so in that time at LinkedIn, I built some fantastic relationships and lived in different parts of the world and, you know, had a chance to work with, you know, had thousands of people in the organization and, and, and growing it from very small to very large and, and the kind of interpersonal things that happen on sort of a, um, uh, you know, farewell tour, if you were the last several months, I was asked a lot of times reflecting back on what I'd learned from that experience. And, and I would say something that's very important to me is I... You know, I was a guy who grew up in the Midwestern U.S. with a pretty limited exposure to what the world actually looks like. Not only outside of that part of the world, but outside of the U.S., outside of your current belief systems, and living in different countries and doing, you know, I think I got to something like 130 cities in 29 countries or whatever it was during that time with LinkedIn. I realized that um, there are a lot of ways to view the world. There are a lot of beliefs out there. There are a lot of um, points of view. And the broader you can be in understanding that my opinion isn't necessarily right, it's what I understand based on the context I have and the nurture and nature that's create, you know, helped me develop who I am. But not everyone holds those same understandings and viewpoints, and that's fine. And it, I think the greatest thing I've learned is to realize that the world isn't necessarily as I see it. I have one point of view, but there are many. And I think the last probably decade has taught me that if you, the more you can open up to the concept of other people, of diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of backgrounds, of belief systems, and you can accept someone for what they believe and for who they are, it really makes your life a lot more comprehensive. That, that broadening of the aperture and getting out of your own um, uh, belief that everything I say or do is right, when you can get a, move away from that, you can inspire a much broader set of people. You can collaborate with a much broader set of people. And that what you're able to do and who you're able to become is you start to take the limits off of that. So I think if, if I could say anything that I really, I don't, I, hadn't, I don't know that I learned this in the last recently, but I've been able to reflect on the things I've learned over the last decade or so, is that the world has a lot to teach you. And everyone, I think it was, uh, I think it was Lincoln, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who said that every man is my superior in some way, and of that I will learn of him. And so I really believe that that understanding and, and diversity of thought and inclusion of other people's concepts in life help us all become better people. 
Yeah, that that's great. And so you mentioned that you're you're currently reading Satya Nadella's book, and and I know that you're a, a big fan of just reading biographies in general. But have you read uh, a biography or a book about someone in a a field that you're not necessarily um, you know used to? Maybe a musician or an artist or someone outside of the business world that you've taken some of their philosophies um, and use them in, in a daily practice or use them to help motivate your teams or get a better understanding of the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'd say the most practical biography I've ever read, I read a long time ago and, I, and it's probably influenced my habits more than anything, is Ben Franklin's autobiography. You know, ben, ben Franklin went through a series of exercises early in his life where he determined the things that were most important to him. And he came up with 13 traits that he believed were really valuable. And he created a way of focusing on those one week at a time. And uh, so therefore you got you know, each, each thing that mattered to him, uh, temperance as an example, he would focus on one full week four times a year. And, and in that, it's an interesting sort of autobiography and way he shaped his life that I've probably taken the most out of, even to the point where the prioritized daily task list and the way that he think, thought about structuring what in today's language we would probably call putting the big rocks in first, doing the highest priority things first, um, probably shaped my, my like, practical day today more than anything I've read. Well, I think that's a good segue into what you call the roles and goals. And so Tom and I are familiar with this just based on what we've read about you. But could you just speak to you know, your roles and goals, how you think about them, when do you set them, how do you measure them for the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, this, is, by the way, is not my thinking. Most of my best thinking has been done by others. <laughs> and this was from, uh, I believe it came from Covey. It was either Covey or the Franklin Covey system, where the idea is you determine what are the roles that I have in my life. And I, do, I personally have a Sunday night planning session. So Sunday evening, and it's typically, in my, in my case, it's usually after my family's in bed and I sit down and, and I have a few things that I do. And one is roles and goals. And so that is, what role do I play in life? So just as an example, you know, I am a husband. I am a father. I am a CEO of a company. You're listing those things out. And then in each one of those, there's a key person or key people. So using husband as an example. So the key person in that role that I play is my wife, Andrea. And then I have goals in there. And so each one of those roles, what is my goal in this, in this role? And then uh, that really is just a review process that I, on a weekly basis, I try to look at each role and each goal and determine what am I doing this week to move that forward? And when people talk about work-life balance, not a real believer in that term, I would consider more harmony than balance. How do you weave these things? How are they interwoven together? And how am I, am I investing in those roles that I care about? I kind of as a separate point, but in the same exercise, I also go through components of life and how am I investing in them? So spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, social, financial. And in those, what am I doing this week? What do I need to be focused on in order to, using physical as an example, what are the things I'm going to do uh, to keep my fitness at the level that I want to? So if you go through an exercise of roles and goals and of those functions in your life, and you're sure that really what gets scheduled gets done and they're actually put in the calendar, then it removes that anxiety of wondering if you're moving towards the things that matter to you in life. So I'm, I'm, pretty, rich. I'm, I'm pretty much a micromanager of myself. I aspire not to be of others, but of myself, I really believe that I, I kind of have to be very focused on the discipline to assure that I get those things done. And by the way, um, 
every week I fail. There's never a 100% success rate across the board. Yeah. I also know that I'm further along than if I hadn't have set the aspirations in the first place. I know you're a big proponent of, of dreaming big and not having limits. So how you think about a big goal, say for your company of, of shift gig, and being able to break that down into weekly chunks, and so you hit those milestones. And then how are you visualizing that and using the power of visualization um, throughout the week or on Sunday night specifically to help drive towards that goal? Yeah, I think it's, that's a good question. <clears throat> First of all, dreams and vision give you energy, but they don't often give you direction. And so I think it getting you know, sometimes people get confused, for example, the company, they confuse the vision with the mission. The mission has a very measurable and, and typically a strategy to accomplish that mission. The vision is the thing that inspires. And so I'll have, for example, just on a personal level, uh, a nearly limitless number of dreams and goals that the people I work with have. And it's not a, for me to, to judge that. One person may be working professionally because of a bunch of material things they want. You know, they want a Maserati and they're excited about it. Another person wants to pay off their college debt. Another person wants to, you know, have their mother be proud of them. Those things, whatever those things are, those are things that usually inspire you, but they don't often give you direction. And so I use, uh, to me, the dreams are the things that, that give you energy. It's like the oxygen of your soul. And if you believe you're moving towards something in life that matters, you have hope. And hope drives a person and gives them energy. When you don't have those goals or when tomorrow looks worse than today, that's when the downward spirals start to happen. And so I think really having an aspirational dream is one that energizes people and tomorrow's better than today. But I think it also needs to be something that there is a sense of reality that has to land within a dream. Dreams aren't just saying, hey, I really hope that I can fly without an airplane and I'm going to jump out without a parachute. Not a very wise thing to do. That might be a big thinking. It's also very foolish thinking that ends abruptly. So it's very important to realize. Now, you don't have to know how you're going to do something to decide that you want to do it. For example, if you get in your car and you decide you're going to drive across town, you don't need to know that all the lights are green. You just need to know that the one in front of you is. And you start moving, and you'll adjust accordingly as you go. So I think really important to have the dreams and have a practical direction. But the dreams have to, be, have, to have a plan or a strategy associated in accomplishing them. And that's really where the mission, so from a business standpoint, that's really where the mission comes in. Something measurable that you can, you can go after. And, and then you break it down to strategy. How are we going to accomplish that first? Into bite-sized chunks that you can look at on a daily, on a weekly basis. In some cases, you know, when a lot, of, a lot of tech companies, on a millisecond basis, you can see things that are happening, things that are working, things that are not working. In the early stages of a company, for example, the idea of being able to iterate quickly and ship is very important. And you can hear uh, lots of thoughts around this. You know, Reid Hoffman always said in the early days that, if you uh, aren't embarrassed by the first product you shipped, you ship too late. And you have to be able to iterate and move quickly. So you don't have to know exactly what the end state is going to be like as long as you know directionally what you're, what you're moving towards. But as, you, as your organization grows, as your team grows, it's important to realize that being able to be nimble is still important, but you're impacting a lot more people. And you may be able to change your mindset and your strategy quickly, but if you're going to be a leader, you have to get people on board with that first. The mistake that a lot of people make when they start to go from kind of mid-sized to large organization is they try and move too quickly without bringing others with them. And the concept when someone, you know, when, when someone who believes they're a leader says it's lonely at the top, 
would tell you you're not a leader. Because if you're at the top all alone, you're not a leader, you're just a hiker. A leader is one who can bring others with them in the vision. And that's where the vision comes back, is helping others be on board with a change in strategy to be able to accomplish the same vision that you had started out with. And we want to take a quick shift here to um, a few rapid fires here before we, we let you go. Um, and these are coming from the audience. But And you mentioned you know, your philosophy a bit on management. And you also mentioned a bit ago when you were talking about your goals that you micromanage yourself, but you don't micromanage your team. So if you had maybe one tip for uh, managers out there or aspiring managers that um, are working with folks and trying to motivate them, what would maybe one tip that you have be that you've seen work successfully? Uh, I would say, first of all, set the standard, demonstrate the standard, and hold others accountable to the standard. Whatever it is you're asking other people to do, if you're not doing it, you know, what you do speaks so loudly that what you say, I can't hear. I think it's very important to hold yourselves to the discipline that you expect of others and be more rigid with yourself than you are with others. Second thing I would say, though, is distance is earned. So not micromanaging someone doesn't mean not paying attention to detail. And actually staying, I can tell you that some of the most growing experiences to me have been the ones where I felt most restricted and uncomfortable and managed too tightly. I didn't like them, but I improved in them. And because the person who was managing me cared enough to be all over me and assuring that I was getting the right things done in the right way. Those who have been great in music or in sports and other things can relate to coaches and instructors who they may not love at the time, but looking back, you really respect and appreciate because they were paying attention to detail. So just because you don't want to, you know, with the quotes around it, micromanage someone, doesn't mean you shouldn't be close to what they're doing. One of the things, one of the least motivating things is being so far away, you don't even really know what's going on with that person. You're not very helpful to them. So I think understanding it, but distance is earned. And giving people the autonomy to be able to make decisions within the constraints that they have is incredibly important. And trusting them to make decisions. The only way that that really happens if you are, if you're creating a safe environment for them to fail inside of. What does it feel like when you give them autonomy they made a choice that was incorrect and it doesn't work. If that loop can come back to them changing, improving, and finding a plan that does work, they feel safe in being able to try things. Otherwise, you're gonna be stuck in a position where you're making all the decisions because you're not giving people the autonomy and the leverage to be able to make decisions on their own. But it doesn't mean staying so far away you don't know what's going on. It just means giving people that distance once the distance is earned. Wait, and what sticks out to me in your response to that question and throughout the interview is you are such a man of integrity and have your, it seems like just your compass on true north, but you also mentioned you've learned from a lot of people. So just real quick, last question is, who are two to three folks you've learned the most from that the audience can look up and start reading their writings and, and taking pieces from their philosophy? So, Oh my gosh, that's a hard question. Um, so I'll answer it. And, you know, I've learned from a lot of people uh, through books and other things that are, you know, hundreds or thousands of years old. So I won't mention them. People I've worked with most directly. I've had a lot of great mentors. And a lot of those aren't very publicly visible. So they don't have a lot of writings or anything out there, but they've shaped me a lot. So narrowing it down to resources that people could go to. Um, there's some philosophers out there. I think Fred Kaufman is someone who I just have a lot of respect for as a, as a, as a person. He's impacted me a lot. It's been very helpful to me and thinking about how to work through various situations, but his writings are great. Um, I think there's a, you know, just from a business philosophy and an entrepreneurial philosophy, Reed Hoffman is someone that also uh, has made 
a, a big difference. Um, yep. I have John Maxwell, uh, Dr. John C. Maxwell, who writes a lot of leadership books, and I've had a chance to interact with him. I don't know how many times, numerous times in my life. He, he's probably the most practical uh, help that I've had in my life as far as learning, you know, leadership and management skills. And there's a whole bunch. I can tell you, in about the last nine and a half years at LinkedIn, I had dozens and dozens of people that were helpful. You know, Mike Gams and Jeff Weiner. There's a whole list of folks that were just exceptional. And um, if you really want to understand about leading people and how to leverage, uh, you know, today's forms of communication in inspiring people at scale, I would really follow Jeff Weiner on LinkedIn. Uh, his his um, points of view and the way in which he brings people from various points of view together uh, are exceptional. And you know, I've had a chance to see that the way he displays himself publicly, but also the way he operates personally. Uh, those two things align and have been a, a great example for me. So Wade, this is great, and and you know, we appreciate your time, and and you've you know, really given some great gold nuggets to the audience. The, the last thing question we have for you is, you know, one, any, anything that you'd like to share as a last word with the audience? And then two, where can folks uh, find you, whether it be on social media or interact with you or, or your company shift gig? Yeah, thanks for asking. The only, I think the only, you know, parting comment I would tell people is uh, believe in yourself. When no one else around you believes in you, when there's nothing else going, believe in yourself. And uh, the best investment you'll ever make is an investment in yourself. And I don't mean that arrogantly or selfishly. I mean, invest in your own learning and your own education and your own humility and your own compassion. That investment in becoming a better person is the best ROI you'll have. And, um, and, and really, if you view others, uh, if, you, if you believe the best way to accomplish something in life is through inspiring a large number of people, then it's about making sure that your attention is on others and on building and encouraging other people. You assemble the right team and the team can accomplish a lot. I, yeah, you can find me. So uh, shiftkid.com is the uh, is the website. There's a lot of cool stuff going on with this organization right now. You can also follow us at Twitter uh, at shiftkid. I personally am Wade Burgess with no punctuation in it uh, on Twitter, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I suppose most of my presence in social media is probably uh, LinkedIn and Twitter at this point. That's great, yeah, and, and LinkedIn for, for good reason, because um, you're there for quite some time. So Wade, again, we, we appreciate your insights. I know the audience is, is gonna love what you have to say about your personal philosophy and, and management and everything that you shared with us today. So yeah, thanks again for your time, and um, for the audience, we'll be back next week with a new episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode with Wade. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on next week's episode, we have an interview with Courtney Dow-Walter, Courtney just won the Moab 240, which is a 240-mile foot race that she won by over 10 hours. Courtney is a badass, and that's a great interview for you guys to check out. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by subscribing on iTunes, leaving us a review, and sharing on your social media. Much love for the TR Talk family. Out.